Hello, everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th, when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections, and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Saturday, October the 14th, and you're very welcome to this special edition of the Irish Times Inside Politics podcast, coming to you live from the Fianna Fáil Ardesh in the RDS in Dublin. I'm Hugh Lennon, just standing outside at the moment. We recorded the podcast just a couple of minutes ago with my colleagues Pat Leahy and Sarah Barden. We were also joined by Derek Caleri and Fiona O'Loughlin to discuss our general theme, which was whether Fianna Fáil is ready for government. And Fia Kelly was also in the audience to seek their views. I have to say, Sarah, as I was approaching the RDS, I heard a great roar of excitement, and I thought it's obviously going well, but that was Joey Carberry scoring a try on the other side of the grounds. You've been here for the last couple of days. What's going on at the RDS? Uh, well, welcome to the RDS. Yeah, I've been here since uh, late yesterday evening. We had a very low-key uh, event taking place uh, yesterday, but the crowds have arrived in mass today, and the I suppose the mood is, is very buoyant and vibrant. I think a lot of people are a little bit frustrated maybe at the way uh, the conference and supply arrangement is working out for Fianna Fáil, but there is very much a mood of buoyance and that you know, potentially this is a Ardesh where Fianna Fáil can get general election ready and an attempt to rally the troops. And I think tonight's speech by Michal Martin will be quite crucial in that regard to, to hear what he has to say to get his members um, on board and prepared for a general election whenever that may be. But, you know, you can very much sense that the members and the delegates here believe that Fianna Fáil can win the next uh, general election that will be the largest party. And, there, you know, there's no kind of ambiguity or doubt in their minds that they will uh, that they will do that and Michal Martin will be uh, the next Taoiseach. And there isn't, Pat, you had the piece about this in this morning's Irish Times about this preparing for, for government and what, what's likely to happen over the next 12 to 18 months or so and you, the, the challenges which the party faces and which Michal Martin faces and maybe getting things like timing right and positioning right over the next, next year or so. Yeah, that's right and there are different views in the party about the optimum timing of the next election, uh, the confidence and supply agreement is slated is for three years. It expires after the next budget and in, in 12 months' time. And while there is always an option to renegotiate that and extend it for a further two years, I don't think that's a prospect that is being seriously entertained either in government are in Fianna Fáil. So the question of an election is, is when, in the, in the medium term, is when rather than if. And there's differences on that within the party. And, you know, I think there's a group within the parliamentary party that believes that Micheál Martin should have gone for an election last February when the Taoiseach was, the then Taoiseach, Enda Kenny, was forced to announce he was stepping down. And, you know, for all the, uh, for all the lap of honour that Enda Kenny did uh, in advance of his actual departure, you know, we shouldn't forget that he was forced out by his own party. And he was forced out by his own party because they anticipated that a general election was hovering into view in the middle distance as well, and they didn't want to fight another election with Enda Kenny as leader. So I think that the choice that 
Micheál Martin has to come to over the coming months is when he wants that election. Does he want it in the first half or quarter of next year? Does he want it after next year's budget? Next year's budget will be a more generous one than this year's one, uh, assuming economic growth continues. There'll be about €3 billion to give away. And that is one of the things that is worrying Fianna Gael, or Fianna Fáil TDs, uh, rather, that they could be forced into an election after a giveaway budget. So I think it's a question of, of... it's a question of timing rather than strategy. The message that Fianna Fáil will go to the electorate with at the next election is probably set, and we'll see a lot of that in Michal Martin's speech tonight. The question is when. Um, Dara, do, do you anticipate that you'll be standing up in 12 months' time in the Dáil um, uh, responding to the second budget from Pascal Donoghue, and soon after that the confidence and supply agreement comes to an end? We signed up, Hugh, for three budgets. Uh, there are many people who said we wouldn't deliver the first or the second, we have. Uh, we've been quite responsible in terms of the way we have kept to our side of confidence and supply. And we have signed up for three, so we will work towards a third budget. That's pending that we get delivery on all of our achievements in this budget, that Finnegan respect our input into confidence and supply. Uh, we are the lead party of opposition, and you, you're getting a flavour of that this weekend in terms of very different stances that we have on housing, on affordable housing, on healthcare. And we will continue to articulate those differences very strongly uh, this evening at Michal's speech and from here on in. And, and what then happens if that all works fine and the, the, the confidence supply agreement survives and thrives to some extent for the next 12 months? What happens in November 2018? Look, um, I suppose we review it then. This is new to all of us. This is the first time we've had confidence in supply uh, here. Um, we, as I said, we have done two budgets. We will ensure that the second budget is implemented. Like, there's a big thing. You, all, you guys all get very excited in the media about budget day. Uh, budget day is... We do. That's true. Budget <laughs> is going to be implemented. I don't know why we get excited, by the way. Uh, I actually don't either, but um, the budget is implemented. It has to actually make a difference. And it's our job now over the next few months to make sure the measures we succeeded in delivering are actually implemented on the ground, that the mental health funding gets spent, that the National Treatment Purchase Fund gets up and running and starts taking people off waiting lists, that count the local authorities start building social houses, that there's an affordable housing programme. So there's no sense in having the big announcement and all the big drama of one day without having the delivery. That's where our focus will be, not on post-October 2018. Fiona, as one of the, the new breed of Fianna Fáil TDs uh, who came in at the, at the last election, Pat talks a little bit in his article this morning about how there are two different generations of, of Fianna Fáil elected politicians and perhaps their experience of politics and their expectations of what the party should do might differ a bit. Do you see that at all? I'm not sure. And when you say that I'm one of the new breed, I'm Fianna Fáil to the core and have been all of my life. And as you say, in the last 20 months, I had the opportunity to run for national office and to be elected. One of the best results in the country in Kadir South, may I add, for Fianna Fáil. But in terms of... Um, the, just, the, just mentioning that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Most important. But in terms of... And, and actually, it really occurred to me coming in here yesterday evening into the very upbeat atmosphere that it was a wonderful thing for me and I spoke to some of my fellow new TDs as well. We've been coming to the Ardeshes all of our lives to debate policy, to meet up with people and to connect and to come in as a TD for the first time was a very special experience. In terms of you're saying that there might possibly be a different element of thought among the new TDs, I don't think so. It takes a long time to hone your craft as a TD 
And in terms of the whirlwind that has been there in the last 20 months, it's been a huge learning curve. And even trying to get the balance between constituency, between committee, between the Dáil Chamber, between party commitments as well too. And I wouldn't think that there is a sense of feeling among us that we want to cut and run to the people. And I would feel that we're very happy with the way Micheál Martin, as our leader, has been steering the ship, keeping it steady, sticking with the commitments that we all made as a party to create an Ireland that's fairer for all. It's important that we reward those who work and who can manage for themselves, but equally it's very important to care for the vulnerable. And that was the stamp that we put on the budget that we had last Tuesday. And I'm quite confident that if it wasn't for Fianna Fáil, that we wouldn't have that, because we see to the left of us in the chamber we have a situation where there's a lot of populism and uh, trying to do things very much to the left side of things. And then Fianna Fáil really are very, very Tory-like. They're going back to their roots and it's very much, I think, driving a right-wing agenda. Freudian slip there. I think Fianna Gael are really, uh, uh, I think, are going back to their Tory roots. I think we'll just use that as a sound snippet afterwards. Yeah. Sarah, let me, let me ask you then, do you sense the kind of upbeat atmosphere which, which Fiona is talking about? It strikes me, and I know this, this is not probably the best point, place to point this out, but this is the first time in the history of the state, or since the 1920s, that Fianna Fáil is in opposition for two parliamentary terms in a row. So that must change the dynamic for the party, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. But again, as I said, the, they're coming into this Ardesh completely confident that they're going to lead the next government. I mean, they're, they're, they have they've, no doubt of that. They've no doubt, no doubt. Uh, no doubt about that, and they're very confident that Micheál Martin will be the next Taoiseach. But I suppose what, what's difficult for Fianna Fáil um, and for Micheál Martin is that they've sort of backed themselves into a corner in, in, in a way. Last night the party passed a motion um, not to enter coalition with Sinn Féin under any circumstances. In a doorstep uh, with the media yesterday, Micheál Martin said that the same goes with Fine Gael. There'll be no co- coalition with Fine Gael. There'll be no confidence supply with Sinn Féin. So Micheál Martin accepts that there will uh, no longer, or he believes there'll be no longer a majority government uh, in this country that perhaps what we have now will be replicated after the next general election. So without coalition with Fine Gael, without coalition with Sinn Féin, without a confidence and supply arrangement with Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil have backed themselves somewhat into a corner. Now, you could argue, I suppose, if they are the largest party in um, in government next time round, we may just have a replication of what we have now, but just with Fianna Fáil on the other side of the house. Um, but it's going to be extremely difficult uh, for Micheál Martin and for, for Fianna Fáil to try and, I suppose, entice... Um, entice people, independent members and indeed uh, Fine Gael to support them as the largest party in government when they've effectively, I suppose he's effectively ruled out Fine Gael in, all, in a, a coalition and has been quite critical you know, of them um, in government. But I suppose the counter to that though is that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have managed to make confidence and supply work with Fine Gael in government so there's no you know, basic reason why it shouldn't work with Fianna Fáil in government. Well, you could, yeah, you could say that, but also, you know, Fianna Fáil are a different beast when they're in government uh, than they are Could you expand opposition. on that? Well, I, I mean, like, it, it's not for me, I suppose, to say, but, I, you know, I think Fianna Fáil in, in, in government, um, Fianna Fáil want to be in government. I think that's their, that's their overriding ambition. That's what the, their drive is. That's why all these delegates are here today. They don't want to be in opposition. They want to be in government. And I think, um, you know... 
looking at it from a different from the other side if, if Fianna Fáil are the beast that they normally are in government will you know will they be as facilitating of Fine Gael as perhaps Fine Gael have been of them I suppose time will tell on that on that one Dara isn't that the only possible outcome given what Sarah talks about in the vote vote yesterday in relation to uh, in relation to Sinn Féin um, the rejection of coalition with Fine Gael um, the only pragmatic realistic outcome is some version of confidence and supply with Michal Martin as Taoiseach you never know Hugh, I mean we've had two extraordinary elections in 2016 and 2011 where the makeup and the dynamic of the all changed completely, you know you had big changes in 2011 and you know, we come into this Ardesh, we come in here in 2012 uh, after the 2011 election and to come into this Ardesh, yes there is a buzz because there's a sense of achievement over that time that we have come back with a PP of 45 um, the people like Fiona are joining us here um, there's a really good buzz here but you know, we can't predict an election in advance. What we will do in advance of the next general election is put forward a platform like we did in 2016 that identifies problems, um, that offers a solution, that offers a solution that is fair. Um, and then we will go, as we did in 2016, we will, with great honour, nominate Mihal Martin for teacher. But on this occasion, those parties that ran away from responsibilities, particularly the, the group of independents, cannot continue to do that. You know, you, if we have a hung doll after the next election, People who ran away from responsibilities can't continue to do that. And um, they need to actually step up to the mark. But we want to lead a government because we feel a Fianna Fáil government, I'm not quite sure where Sarah's going with the beast thing. A Fianna Fáil government does things differently. It's not, it's not a criticism. Deliver, um, we will deliver um, to the families who are suffering from housing and homelessness, who are waiting on health lists. We've shown through confidence supply that that's our input. In government, we will proudly deliver for those as well. Pat? Uh, well... I, I think Dara's right that, you know, who knows what the outcome of the next election will going to be. That will depend, I suppose, on what triggers it, on, you know, the arguments that, that dominate it. But I think that there is a sense, if you look at the polls over the medium term, that the period of great volatility of these huge swings against Fianna Fáil in 2011 to Fine Gael and Labour away from Fine Gael and Labour in 2016, back towards Fianna Fáil to a degree and scattered amongst the independents, that that period of, of, of volatility is probably coming to an end. And what we've seen, the sort of macro trend that we've seen since the last election is a seepage back to the centre, back to Fianna Fáil, and to Fine Gael, both of them, if you look at our most recent poll, five points ahead of where they were at the last, uh, at the last general election. So I think that the, the prospect for a dramatically, uh, an outcome of the next election that is dramatically different from what we might imagine now, is, I think there's only a small chance of that. Can I, can I just so just so what that complicates, I think, then, is the, uh, complicates in some respects, but clarifies in another, is the path to government for either the biggest party. Sure. It's absolutely crucial for Micheál Martin, if he wishes to lead a government in the sort of similar circumstances that the present government is in, that, he's, that he comes back with more votes and more seats than Fine Gael. To, That's the real head-to-head sure, contest. But, but, but to what extent do you think um, is the fact that it seems very likely that this will be an election taking place in the shadow of Brexit, to what extent might that impact on the way the election turns out in the end, that there might perhaps be a greater desire for stability or continuity or some sense of, you know, of, of, of not too much messing around, basically? That's going to, de- that's yeah. going to depend on what Brexit looks like. I think... 
you know, when you engage with people around Brexit around the country at the moment, they don't know what it's going to look like. There are still many people who feel it won't happen. People in business keep wishing it may not happen. Um, we won't know what Brexit's going to look like. Uh, until 2019, but it will have a But it is true that it looks progressively worse the closer it gets. It will have a major impact, and it'll depend on how we as a party respond to it, how the government respond to it. Um, The danger about making big predictions about elections in advance is they're normally proved wrong. And when we gathered here, when we gathered in Ardesh ahead of the 2016 election, the big prediction was that it was going to be Fine Gael majority government, and I think Micheál Martin nailed that in the speech that night when he said there's going to be no coronation here. So making predictions about campaigns in advance, who would have said that Jeremy Corbyn would have got the kind of result he got last May or last May, or May in the UK? Um, politics is, is still very fluid, and yeah, Pat is right. There seems to be polls going back to the so-called centre, but it's still very fluid. Which, which I think if there is a Brexit event, just on that last point, if there is a Brexit effect in the next election, when whenever it comes, it's likely to favour the big parties. In a time of, you know, great uncertainty, uncertainty yeah. I think people are less likely to favour the kind of, you know, the splintered independents, the smaller parties. Mm. And I would say that uh, Fianna Fáil are the only party that are actually taking Brexit seriously because we are the only one that has a spokesperson dedicated to Brexit and we have clearly said that there should be a minister for Brexit in the present government and there is not and we have a very capable spokesperson who's working with a really good team in relation to what our responses should be and in relation to the pre-Brexit works and negotiations. My colleague, Fia Kelly, has a, has a microphone, I think, do you, Fia? You're going to wander no. through the crowd, Jerry Springer style, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and not, assault some of the audience and ask them for points. Not quite, but there's a couple of members of the audience here who contributed to the Ardesh. Um, Professor Tim Bale teaches politics at Queen Mary University. London is here, and Mick Fealty from Slugger O'Toole is here as well. And I might ask Tim Bale, because he spoke in a very interesting session this morning on lessons from the UK general election and he spoke about you know how Corbyn galvanised the youth and the divide is not, was not class based it was young versus old and one interesting thing he said was that in the context of the referendum on the 8th amendment next year that Fianna Fáil cannot get caught on the wrong side of that youth divide now we've just had a debate literally minutes ago that concluded which basically you know voted against repealing the 8th amendment so I might ask Tim to share some thoughts on how Fianna Fáil might handle that position it will find itself in next year Yeah, I mean, we did see in the UK a referendum that completely blew politics apart. And I I think, you know, it's all um, very well and sensible to discuss the the impact of Brexit. But it it could well be that actually the the referendum on the Eighth Amendment will will be a much bigger deal, actually, for for Irish people. And will actually um, have ripple effects that run into the election to come. So, I mean, my my question is, uh, you know, how do you think how do you think it will play out? If, if uh, Fianna Fáil does get caught in this age divide and on the wrong side and is seen to be, as it were, you know, the, the spokesman of a small-c conservative, small-town Ireland, it's not going to be able to win you know, the, the people it needs to win over in the cities and the larger towns, I would say. Sarah, you've just come from the abortion debate. Which yeah, well, I just, I just come back from the, from the debate that's been uh, taking place, Tim, and what I can safely say is that it isn't a, um, a question that can be, can be divided in terms of gender, in terms of age, and certainly in terms of location, because what we've seen from the members who've contributed, and largely they have been, um, they have been against repealing the Eighth Amendment and um, against any 
diminishment, diminishing of the constitutional right of the unborn. Um, and that hasn't, I mean, I think there's a, there's a tendency in particular in the media to perhaps suggests that the debate is divided by age, that perhaps you know people under a certain age are all in favour of repeal and people above a certain age are all uh, defined as, as anti-abortion. Although there is an life. age differential on, on, on positions on this, on opinions on it. But if you just take what we... Only, only at the extremes. Only at the extremes is it very noticeable. So between 18, 18 and 24-year-olds, they are majority in favour of repeal and over 65-year-olds are overwhelmingly in favour of... Uh, uh, in, in favour of maintaining the Eighth Amendment, but in the middle, it's uh, it's much much less uh, it's much less stark. You are te- you tend to be more in favour of repeal the younger you are, but uh, but the differential is not that stark. At all. Sorry, sorry, I just yeah, wanted to let you finish be- your point there. No, no, I was just go- I was just going to make the point. I suppose that uh, you know a lot of the, uh, in fact, one of the one dele- uh, young this delegates that had addressed um, that addressed the motion in was a young lady from from Donegal. I suppose when you automatically you, you know you presume that somebody of that age um, bracket would, and, and of that gender would be defined as you know in favour of repeal the eighth, where she spoke very strongly in favour of the retention of the Eighth Amendment in the Constitution. So I think there, there, there may be an attempt by some in particular in the media to... Um to define this, uh, you know, in a particular way, it has to, you know, that we, we say that um, certain sections of society will vote a certain way, whereas I just think this is an issue that will divide the society right down the core. And, you know, it, it may not be the Brexit referendum, but it has it has the potential to be just as divisive and just as bitter as the Brexit referendum. Fiona. Just to make the point that on the CLAR today that there were two different motions on different sides of the debate, lest anyone think that there was no balance here today. I think Micheál Martin put it very well last night when he spoke about this and he said, no matter what, there are going to be opposing views, but we have to respect every view. I think that's hugely important. And I think what you're seeing today in terms of the contributions from the floor would mirror certainly our party, but I would imagine most parties and certainly within my own constituency of Kildare South, I would see the mixed views as well. And I think it's very important to respect the views and to have proper debate in relation to this. And of course, it's very important to make the point that at this point in time, we don't know what the wording is going to be suggested in terms of replacing the Eighth Amendment. And I would imagine that when we come to that point, that will lead to a whole other debate also. But is it your expectation then that the party simply won't take a position? We know there won't be a whip applied uh, to the votes in the Oireachtas, but is it your expectation that the party will effectively sit it out as a political contest and allow uh, and n- n- not, not take any position at all, no, rather than absolutely. taking a position Th- and allowing dissent. No, no, that is my expectation. There will be a position. And I think it's quite, no, it's my expectation that we won't take a position, that we will respect views on either side. It's already clear that there's going to be a freedom of conscience vote for the parliamentary party members and for the members themselves. And Micheál Martin made that clear last night, that all of our own members and supporters will have to make up their own mind in relation to the wording that is going to be put there. Right. Fierk? Yeah, Dick wants to get in now, so Mick Fieldy from Slow Road Tool, and there's a gentleman at the back who's going to ask a question now. Yeah, so I, um, I think this point about volatility is really important, uh, and it's something that I'll be speaking about uh, later on. Um, now, it's all very well to say it is volatile, 
but and we have no better proof of it than uh, the recent general election in Britain, where the Labour Party two weeks beforehand had an average uh, rating in the polls of 24.5% and ended up somewhere around 40%. Now, the truth is the data from post-war right through suggests that campaigns don't make any real difference in politics, and yet that one made a huge amount of difference. My suspicion is it's the intervention of social media that are unmediated by, you know, editors and various other kind of uh, people because it happens in places that most of us can't see. It happens not just around kitchen tables anymore, but in parts of Facebook particularly that are just impenetrable. Um, So I would just ask Fianna Foyle, you know, given that you're accepting that it is a volatile, uh, it's a volatile platform, it's a volatile political environment, what sort of preparations, what sort of uh, strategies are you contemplating using to to be able to cope with the very volatility of the platform? Dara? Yeah, look, I mean, we're wrapping up our whole social media presence. You can see it here this weekend. We're putting a lot of work in uh, on it, both Facebook and on the other channels as well. But I think the election in the UK showed the campaigns do matter. And they also, the uh, con- the context in which the election was called, Theresa May said she would not call an early election. She broke that very fundamental promise. So she was on the, on the back foot from the start. Then they ran the most appalling campaign imaginable until we saw their conference last week, um, that it could get worse. Um, and they also let Jeremy Corbyn away with it. He was never challenged during the election. They never engaged him on debate, on his economic policies, on his vision for Britain. So, yes, social media was enormously important in terms of mobilising votes for Labour. But the actual traditional campaign that the Tories fought was so appallingly inept that they, uh, their reputation for good government was destroyed by the campaign. Their reputation for a policy platform was destroyed by the campaign. Like, they didn't have their core policy their core policy targets even in terms of older voters they destroyed that I think it's so the traditional campaign still matters social media is going to be enormously important in terms of mobilising voters and we saw that during the marriage equality referendum in particular how well it can be used in a positive manner but the traditional campaign and this is what we're really good at here and we showed it in 2016 the knocking on the door and the registering the votes and the being active in your community still counts for an awful lot to our electorate here. Well, I think we saw that as well in the 2016 general election. I mean, one of the criticisms of the Fine Gael campaign was how much Enda Kenny was wrapped up in cotton wool and how a, a testament to Micheál Martin's success was that he went down... Uh, to every constituency in the country over a period of you know uh, uh, five years and knocked on every door and shook every Fianna Fáil member's hands and that that paid off from you know I don't think social media can be underestimated and actually I think Fianna Fáil probably you know in the last year or so have woken up to the reality of social media and we've seen that in their claw where they they advise their members not to surrender on social media and to tackle you know uh, reporters like myself and uh, and uh, presenters like you if if we're found to be biased against uh, Fianna Fáil. Go go for it, go for it, I say. (laughs) So bring it on. Um, But, you know, I I think Dara's right. You can't can't overestimate uh, social media either. Uh, You know, Ireland is a very small nation and I think, you know, when it comes down to a general election, a shake of a hand or, you know, a kiss on the cheek. Although although I do wonder, I mean, I've been wondering for the last few weeks, I think that the the first vote that will be a truly Facebook-influenced vote in Ireland will be the next referendum. 
because the dynamics of a referendum with a binary choice, particularly what's on an, when it's on an issue which is so emotive uh, and which some people have such strong views on, and I'd also add in the fact that there are people who are outside the country who may have an interest in the outcome of a vote, and we know from events in the United States and Germany and elsewhere that you know it's very difficult to know where money's coming from and how it's being spent. So those could all be issues. Yeah, that, you know, that's going to be an issue. It's going to be a challenge for... But as we've seen, uh, at least now there is an awareness. And I think what the events in America last, last year have shown, that people are going to be aware of where these ads are coming from. And in terms of fighting a campaign, fighting that kind of a, uh, those kind of ads will become part of campaign strategies and highlighting those ads, highlighting his paying for those ads, that will become part of strategies in the future. Fiat, you have a gentleman down the back. Yeah, there's a gentleman down the back who wants to ask a question. If anybody else wants to ask a question or make a contribution, just make yourself known. Hello, uh, thank you very much. My name is Brian Murphy. I'm secretary of the BRA Ciorla. And a uh, grassroots Fianna Fáil, not a public representative canvasser. I was here back in 2012, as Darla spoke when we were on the floor. Mihal Martin has repositioned us back in where we all were back into the centre and slightly left of centre. I call for that only Killarney, the Ardish in Killarney. Uh, we're seeing it on the stamp and the budgets on, on health and education with the national purchase that was mentioned this morning and the increase in teachers and special needs assistance that was driven by Fianna Fáil and their budget. The one issue for me as a grassroots is my children are getting to the age where they want to leave the, the house, they're gone from the house, they're, they're renting, they're working and I think it's going to be very necessary to engage with young people they will have to be able to afford houses if they're willing to get out and work, if their partners are willing to get out and work, if they're willing to get up in the morning, get up early, go up and work hard. People have to be able to afford affordable houses. Yeah. This is going to come down to very strong legislation to make land available, very strong legislation, possibly in health and safety, to make building affordable. These houses have to be put on the market again at affordable prices which are compatible with the wages that young people are making. I'm talking about houses of between 150 and 250,000 euros. Come on, where are we going with our children? 50, 450,000 houses. A waste of time. This is where you're going to engage with young people. Brian, you're, abs you're absolutely right, and the housing crisis has many victims, the homelessness, those in negative equity, and those who are struggling to get on the property ladder. And in relation to the young people that you're talking about, and I really, really have a huge fear and worry about that, and in the budget announcement, we know that there's going to be a 1,000 new teachers, and we know we're going to have uh, more SNS. The big problem is that many of the teachers that I know are leaving the country because they can't afford to get on the property property ladder here. So they're going to Dubai for a few years, they're going to Australia. I see Jim Brady, former president of PD4 here, and I can this tell you that 20% of those in the army are on family income supplement. Coming from Kildare South myself, where we have the Defence Forces, every day I have soldiers that are in employment coming to me. They cannot afford rent and they cannot afford to get a house. It is the biggest crisis that we have and there was not enough to in in the budget on Tuesday to address it. Absolutely. Dara. Absolutely. I mean, we've highlighted the whole affordable housing uh, issue very strongly since Tuesday. The other thing I say, your kids should be able to stay in Barra too if they want to. We shouldn't be give up on the, all these kids coming to Dublin, staying here for life. We need to be a lot more ambitious, a lot more aggressive about broadband installation. There's not too many people in Barra to be able to listen to this podcast because of the quality of our broadband facilities. And broadband and technology has the 
potential if it's properly harnessed and if there is an ambitious investment programme to give people the chance to get that affordable home where they were born and reared themselves. You see, I am interested... To keep our schools going. Barrett, l- listen to what Brian's saying there. First of all, I was interested that he, he used the dreaded phrase people who get up early in the morning. Um, which might have been invented somewhere else. And also his description of where the party has moved over the last the last five or six years under Micheál Martin to the left. Do you agree that it has moved to the left? It's not a question of moving to the left. It's a question of... We, our strengths strength as a party, you know, and coming back to housing, this is the party. We built the council houses and government. We built the affordable houses. We put together a social protection scheme over the years. Our strengths have always been, if you want to say, to the left. Uh, we've looked after those who are uh, need looking after. We've given people the skills through prioritising education, Don O'Malley, uh, etc., giving people through education the opportunity to actually move on. And that is always being part of the party. And yes, Michal comes from that tradition. Uh, Michal is of that tradition, somebody who gained from Don O'Malley's programme from college, uh, and he now brings that passion for education through to our policy platform. And it resonated with people in 2016 in a way that none, none of the so-called experts thought it would. And we will continue to build on that, because exactly right. And I see Paul McAuliffe here in front of me, our, our candidate in Dublin Northwest. Um, people in Finglas deserve a chance if they want to buy a house and don't qualify it to get that house and to be able to live in their own community and not to be stuck for an hour every morning commuting from some part of the edge of Dublin commuting back in the evening. They deserve the chance to be in their community to raise their family and we are the party that has the track record of giving that opportunity. Fiat, back to you in the audience Just before I go to Paul McAuliffe who's next with a question I have a question myself actually um, you know housing is very important and Dara echoed back to you know Fianna Fáil built a lot of council houses and social housing and affordable housing but how do you Fianna Fáil get over the stumbling block of housing being so tied to its previous failures in government like if you talk about housing you cannot ignore the ghost in the room which is the housing boom of the mid 2000s and the subsequent crash so how do you get over that in an election talking about housing without reminding people of why you had such a kicking in 2011 in the first place the key thing in 2012 when we gathered here is we put our hands up and said we got it wrong Neil Martin had the balls to stand up and say we got things wrong and there is a generation of us uh, who are either learned from those lessons, were in the parliamentary party at that time, or have joined the parliamentary party since, that will ensure that it doesn't happen again. But equally, we can't lose our ambition to give people four walls and a roof. We can't lose the ambition to actually say that we need builders to build houses. We can't lose our ambition to say we need an apprenticeship scheme to give us those builders. Um, you know, I, I, I actually just on on that point, I actually went 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 back over all the speeches that Mihal had made in that period because he kept saying, you know, we have said that we got it wrong and we have learned the lessons, but he was an awful lot less specific about actually what the lessons were. So maybe you could remind the, us. The lessons are that you uh, build a sustainable economy that the, you hope that that economy and you work towards that economy benefiting everybody, that you don't target specific groups and spin them with a message that's only targeted at them, that everybody actually has the chance to win from a recovery. And, um, you know, what you do then is you don't uh, put too much uh, investment in one area for which there may not be demand. Such that's the other difference on this occasion, Fake. We need houses. Maybe we, we had too many before, but we now need them again. And this is the party with a track record uh, of delivery, social and affordable houses. Yeah. That's the tradition we need to get back to. Yeah, we, we can't forget that up to 2011, under a Fianna Fáil government, 
5,000 local authority houses were being, being built every single year around the country, and that's without the 20% part five. Since 2011, far less than 5,000 have been built in that six and a half years. And that's a key thing that should not be forgotten. Fianna Fáil always prioritised and made sure that houses were built for those people who would never be able to afford to buy a house for themselves. Um, next question is uh, Paul McAuliffe. He's a Dublin City Councillor and he's a candidate in Dublin North West, I think, in the next election. Yeah, thanks, Vic and Hugh. Um, I suppose uh, to touch on the three points of the uh, confidence and supply campaigning on Facebook on, on, on housing, I suppose I have a slightly different perspective because I suppose as a, I'm a representative of a party outside of uh, the doll, and I'm also in a constituency where some of those issues are, are most acute. And there's no doubt. I am often frustrated with the confidence and supply agreement because I believe if Fianna Fáil were leading the government, we would do it differently. Um, and also on the door, sometimes it's hard to explain what the confidence supply is, how we got here, the fact that on three occasions other opposition parties let us down. And so that can be hard to do. But I also know that if we pull the plug and we aren't able to lead an alternative, we'll be securing five more years of a Fianna Gael-led government. And I certainly don't want to do that. Uh, and in my constituency, I think... Dara's right, we're ruling out lots of things here, all sorts of variations. But the one thing the media seem to be ruling out is that campaigns don't matter. I really do believe that in a general election campaign where the choice is between a Fianna Fáil-led government or a Fianna Gael-led government, I'm very confident going in, both in my constituency where I think that would be a very acute uh, question, but also nationally, I think we can persuade other opposition party supporters that if they really want to change the government, the best way to do that is to vote for their Fianna Fáil candidates. Can I say on the social media thing, um, there's lots of debate around social media and how you do it. I think really what social media is, is just another tool to communicate. And if you are slick and glick on social media, you'll turn people off. But if you're genuine and you're campaigning on the ground and you use it as a way to broadcast what you're already doing, as you would have with a black and white leaflet maybe 20 years ago, then you, you'll win support. And so I think Facebook is just the, another way to communicate a very, very genuine work on the ground. And the last point is... Like we're talking about housing. If you're talking about the lesser of two evils, a housing surplus or a housing shortage, I know which one the people in my clinic would pick every time over. They would pick uh, having houses rather than not having them. Right, I'm listening to, to Paul there, Sarah. I'm conscious that I have a classic battle in the next election. Will be Hughley looking to take Noel Rock's seat, it's sort of almost sort of in miniature, or what the next election is going to be like, isn't it? Well, yeah, I think um, in fairness, uh, Noel Rock probably was the worst out of the constituency commission boundary review, and it might be benefiting Paul in the next general election. And Paul and Paul is working his. Paul is working Paul's his ass a great candidate as well. <laughs> I'm sure he is. But you did say that the media think the campaign don't matter. I think actually, if you listened to what I just said, I said the campaigns absolutely do matter. And I think we've seen that in the British election, but we've seen it here too. And you know, if we go back to the referendum question, um, you, you know, we've had referendums where we in the media have thought they were signed, sealed, and delivered, and a campaign has pulled the rug from underneath us. The Shannon referendum is one of them, but there's also one on the uh, Rockless Inquiries referendum too. Um, so you know, we're saying that campaigns campaigns do matter, but what, what also matters is the outcome of the general election. And if you have a situation where your party leader, which he has done, has ruled out coalition with the other two biggest parties in this country, you know, that matters too. And we have a we have an obligation to inform the electorate that Micheál Martin going into the next general election doesn't want to do business with Sinn Féin in any shape or form. You know, the, and we have an obligation to tell him that he doesn't want to do coalition with Fine Gael either because I think one of the things 
that I've picked up here is that you know a lot of people are saying oh the media are obsessed with this and the media are obsessed with that but actually you know members of your own party and the electorate are eagerly obsessed with the questions as to who is Fianna Fáil going to do business with if it wins the next general election? Like that is a, that is a critical question that Michal Martin, you know, will face every day. Up do you think it'll become a problem election. for him? I think it could potentially be. I mean, look. In reality, you know, if things go the way they're going, I mean, and I, and I hate making predictions because every time I make a prediction, <laughs> it goes the exact opposite way. But I think if you, you know, if right you were to- it's all right, Sarah. It's not like anyone could actually search this on the internet or anything. <laughs> It's not like anybody here will remind me. <laughs> but, um, no, I think if you look at it, it's probably going to be you know a replication of what we have now. But it just it, it, it depends on who'll be who'll be on either side of of the house. Um, you know, as we know, going into the 2016 general election, uh, Michal Martin said no coalition with Finnegaley was offered the grand prize of power, and he turned it, and he turned it down. You know, one would just wonder whether you know it, he could turn it down. Yeah. There's a gentleman yeah. at the back here who has, uh, I think we're nearing the end of time, so this will be one of the last questions. Right, Pat Monks, Concal, with Parmistown. Now, we're after mentioning social media. I mean, we got hinted on the allegation that Fianna Fáil wrecked the bloody economy, the failures of Fianna Fáil. Now, we've been listening to that for the last, God knows, man, 10 years now. Now, my question is. What's in the name of God is the point of motivating Fianna Fáil people to get involved in social media and fighting the hostility, in, not only in the media, but right across the social media, if Fianna Fáil in the last 10 years has totally and utterly refused to challenge the hostility that's been thrown at the party endlessly? What is the point in me going on social media? Now, for like me, I've been... I'm far ahead of most people because I discovered the internet in 1998 and I've been on it since fighting with a twinkle in my eye, I love it but the hostility of these people has been totally ignored by Fianna Fáil. we have this inferior, I was going to say inferiority complex we have a complex that we will not fight back against the hostility that's thrown at us all the time what's wrong with us? don't talk about encouraging us to go on social media unless from the top to the bottom especially from the top we get the encouragement to fight bloody back against I didn't mean to point that finger sorry <laughs> who, who, who were you pointing the finger against with, with the greatest of respect we did fight back and the best way of fighting back is winning elections and with the extra seats that we won in 2016 at a national level, level and in 2014 at a local level that is the best fight back any of us could ever do and every time any one of us as a public representative is on any type of panel be it in our local town hall be it at a Fianna Fáil common or CDC meeting or with the media we are fighting back and we are taking these views on board can I just say too campaigns are very important and they're made up of a number of different elements social media is just one of them and obviously the traditional sorts are, are, are I would say more important but I think keeping to our core policy and core principles as a party is the most thing to thine own self be true then thou canst be false to any man and we have proven and shown that we are a caring party that we will look after the vulnerable that we absolutely are passionate about education and the positive impact of that on young people we care about 
disabilities and young children. Michal, as a focus in his speech last night, spoke about children, spoke about the 3,000 that are homeless, spoke about all of those that are on waiting lists for scoliosis and I think that that is the message that we need to hammer home and to prove that they are going to be our priorities and that is why people will come out and back us for the next this election. This gentleman here just wants to wrap it up pretty soon. It's getting rowdy here now. The audience are grabbing the microphone from the table. I just wants to make one point and then one just final question. The front very brief. Just, just a very quick just Vincent Vincent Brown, Brown, yourself at the Vincent front. Brown for the last eight years on my night one night he said this Fianna Fáil has wrecked the economy they're, 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 all, they're all over the cliff the next night he comes out and says we're the richest bloody country in the world there's a contradiction that we never challenge that nonsense when I, 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 I think when it comes to, to fighting back I think Dublin South Central have demonstrated uh, very well in the last election last year uh, a very able uh, parliamentarian, so Senator just, Catherine O'Dell, lost out on a seat so, so, with 36 sorry. votes. So when it just, comes to fighting back, if we have 36 votes to claw back when the election is called, to take back one of our Fianna Fáil seats in Dublin South Central, we won't be found lacking uh, when we're all called to get out and knock on the doors, because that's how we win elections, we oh, knock on doors. OK, I Thank think you. we're going to... Your last thoughts, just, yeah. No, no just, I was going to let Dara wrap up, you know, that the, the question was, ready for government, so are you ready, and when are you going to be ready? When is the election? We're ready. We, w- we are absolutely passionate about getting it back because we wanted to deliver to people in a way this government aren't capable of doing. All right, so we should, on that happy note, we shall, we shall leave it there. Thanks very much indeed to Derek Camary, to Fiona O'Loughlin, uh, to Pat Leahy and Sarah Barden. Thanks also to Fiat, who ran the floor, and to Declan Conlon on the decks. You can listen to this podcast. Anybody who's here who wasn't aware of it before, you can find it on irishtimes.com slash podcasts. If you have an iPhone, you can find it on your, in your podcast app, or if you have some other kind of a phone, you'll find it somewhere just by, by Googling it. So do check it out, and we'll be back with another podcast on Wednesday. Talk to you then.